Welcome to Blooming Out on Community Radio, WFHB. Blooming Out is a forum by and for the LGBTQ plus community. Each week we explore the issues, events pertaining to the LGBT community in Indiana, the U.S., and internationally. We speak with guests about human rights, coming out, the legality of being gay, and much more. Blooming Out is a multiple award-winning program here on Community Radio, WFHB. Thanks for listening to Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Frankie Presslav. I'm Kevin Mosenzade. I'm Melanie Davis. And I'm Justin Robertson. So, hello, everybody. Hello. We'll start Frankie. with you, Kevin. Hi, hi. How's your week, Why? Frankie? You can ask me how my weekend has. <laughs> yes, oh, put yeah. him on the spot yeah, first. It's always me. Um, well, the weekend hasn't happened yet, so uh, the week, whatever. Okay, okay. What are you looking forward to? Where did you? Look? How was your Lotus? My, I didn't do Lotus. <laughs> I, I, I've been mm. wanting to do it for the last 25 years. <laughs> and you've and never done it? I swear I've tried to do it, and I just, when it, it's just like I'm walking down the street for dinner, and I'm like, again? I missed it again? <laughs> and it's not like it's not, and there's signs everywhere, and people are talking about it. But I want to go. And I always talk to all my relatives around the country. And it's like, we got to come to Lotus. It's this incredible thing. And I give them the whole big um, shindendic on it. And mm-hmm. I never go. <laughs> mm. so, but I am going. I'm Seems hypocritical. When are you going? It does. I will go next year. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Let's all go together. <laughs> yeah, we don't okay. believe you. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Melanie, how are you doing? Uh, I am doing really well. I had a tooth pulled. I saw the, the Facebook. Why yay? Yeah, no, I is, love yeah. the dentist. It's, <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> no, yeah, people uh, don't, but I do. Didn't it feel good? It, I mean, it's it gone. It feels good now. Yeah, it yeah. was really bad. It was just like a, a railroad spike being pushed through my ear into my skull. And yeah. um, now it's a lot better. Oh, there I am. Yeah, you sound better. Yeah, I sound better now. But I'm closer <laughs> to the mic. Uh, I think the engineers were doing something. But I was, I was very, uh, <laughs> it was a lot of pain. I didn't realize what that could do. Brush your teeth, everyone. <laughs> Go get regular checkups. Yeah, that's important. This has if been you can a PSA. Afford that. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I went to um, Volunteers in Medicine, yes. and it took them a month to get me in to get the tooth yeah, out. So. But they got you in. Oh, but wow. they got me in, and they got it out. Poor thing. You must have been so much pain. It was, you know, it was fun. That's true. So, Justin, how's your your tooth doing? Mm-hmm. My tooth? Yeah. <laughs> I only have one. That's <laughs> that reminds me of, I, I was in Japan, and I actually bought this toothpaste they had there, and it said, brush your tooth. And so, <laughs> I always said, whenever I'm like going to go brush my teeth, I say, I'm going to go brush my tooth. So, uh, my tooth is great, Frankie. Thank you. And Kevin, <laughs> no, Brian, Kevin, you're going to leave at the bottom of the hour. I feel like Mike, Mike's gone. Mikey, Mikey. Um, so what's going on with you? Um, I tutor for the athletics department here at IU, and they got a, uh, a last-minute scheduling, so I am out of here at the bottom of the hour. So Okay, okay well, we'll miss you. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, that sounded so fake. <laughs> what, do you t- what do you tutor? I just told you. I tutor macroeconomics. Oh. Ooh. What is that? Like uh, macrame? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Funny, you make hanging like plant holders. Yeah. I got it. The athletic department. No, but uh, 
there was a uh, totally random, but there was a girl this week at the gym who asked me about my last name and she said, where's that from? And I told her it was Iranian and she looked at me all puzzled and goes, okay, but where is that from? Oh, no way. <laughs> oh my oh, God. No, that is sad. And I, <laughs> I said, honey, you got to look at a map. <laughs> definitely. I don't know if my mic's working. Can you guys hear me? Get up. We I can hear hey. you, but it's not very loud. I don't think anybody my mic's working. Oh, wait, so that's is I Frankie's mic bad. working? Can somebody I don't, check that here out? There you go. Now I'm Yay. back. Sorry, guys. So back. tonight we have Deborah or Deb. Deb. Deb's fine. Deb. Deb's fine. Purdue. Purdue. And my mic is on and gone again. So I'm gonna have Justin read this. <coughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Um, hi, Deb. Thanks for coming. Hi. <laughs> uh, Deb has worked extensively in trauma and sexual abuse issues. Deb Pardue has extensively researched researched issues and stressors that today's LGBTQ plus clients and families may be experiencing and works with transgender clients so that they can gain the medical treatment they need. Welcome to our show. I'm very happy Thanks that you're here today. Me. I'm yeah, happy to have you. I'm, I'm excited. We're glad to have you too. So, Melanie, what's going on in the news? Share. Share. Enough said. Share about share. <laughs> share opens up about her fears when uh, Chaz told her he was transgender in a new interview with Pride Source in the wake of her new album of ABBA covers. Share opened up uh, about her feelings and a fear surrounding the gender transition of her son Chaz. I didn't go through it that easily. Both times, uh, both times when I found out Chaz was gay, I didn't go through that it easily. Said Share. She added, I think it's about the fear mostly. I felt, uh, who will this new person be? Because I know who that person is now, but who will the new person be? And how will it work when I have lost somebody? How will it work when I, and will I have lost somebody? Then Cher had a revelation. I thought of something else. I thought, my God, if I woke up tomorrow and I was a man, would I be gouging my eyes out? And so I know that if that's what you feel, then that must be so powerful that it doesn't make any difference what anyone else feels or what anyone else thinks. Chaz was first introduced to the spotlight uh, on his parents' 1970s variety program, The Sunny and Share Comedy Hour, and has lived much of his life in the shadow of his famous parents. He initially came out as lesbian in The Advocate in 1995 and later began his transition in mid-2008. At that time, there was a lot of speculation into Cher's feelings toward her son's transition, but she says that the relationship between her and her son now is at its peak. Chaz is so happy now, and we get along better than ever, said Cher. Oh, well, that's a nice story. That is a nice story. It was kind of, you know, <coughs> when she, when, I guess when she first came out as a lesbian, there's a lot of news on that that Cher wasn't doing very well with that news. Right. So now it seems like, obviously, they've came a long ways. And, um, you know, it, it's... Awesome that you know we have a celebrity in that sense that we have you know is, is talking about it. Um, right. mm-hmm. And I, Jazz, Chaz, Chaz, right? Chaz. She's pretty. I mean, she's out there right now in the, the community. So I'm heat. sorry, the smack of me. Mm-hmm. Yes, Chaz is a heat. No. Chaz is a heat. Well, I grew up, you know, and that's the th- here we are, old man talk. When you know, watching Chaz grow up, I used to watch the Sunny and Cher show. Right. So when I right. think of Chaz, I think of when back in the day right with the little girl coming on the stage and everything like that so i apologize um but that's literally the the visual i have you know i don't have the adult 
jazz in my head. Right. And so what do you do? You say you're sorry. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. yeah. You don't you don't get effusive over it and you say right. you're sorry and you move on. Right. Uh, especially if you're talking to that person. Right. Um, on radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I, the the mental image that we have of people, you know, we draw from that when we're speaking kind of unconsciously and we're just doing a flow, then old concepts flow out. Right. Uh, especially if you don't if you don't talk about that person every day. Right. I can't believe you don't talk about Chaz every day. <laughs> yes. But, so um, imagine. Yeah. So, you know, that happens and that's that's a, a struggle for uh the people around us, the people around trans folk. Right. Um, and that's something we had a conversation about that, about, you know, people just saying and and Rachel who was um part of her show for a while, we had that discuss and discussion and she had said, you know, when people make that mistake like I just did, is, you know, you say I'm sorry, move on and don't overcorrect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm not gonna be angry at you, you know, and we just kinda move on and, and go for it. So right. it happens. So Justin, what is going on on your side of the news? Okay, well, there's an article in LGBTQ Nation uh, with the headline, Department of Ed will investigate trans student complaint after all. The kid is the target. The Department of Education has announced it will investigate whether or not a Georgia elementary school's bathroom policy contributed to the alleged sexual assault of a five-year-old girl. A gender-fluid student was accused of the crime, but school authorities and police took no action after an investigation. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos announced last year that she would rescind Obama-era directives on how to treat transgender students with respect and would stop accepting complaints of discrimination from trans students. I just want to be clear, that was a little bit confusing for me. Um, so sh- she's going to rescind directives that respect transgender students. Right. All right. The Alliance Defending Freedom, also known as ADF, is an anti-LGBTQ hate group that masquerades as a religious legal charity, and it is representing the girl's mother in this case. The school has said the group is twisting the facts to fit their agenda. The Education Department's Office for Civil Rights sent a letter that it will investigate the allegations and whether the school district's bathroom policy contributed to the creation of a hostile environment for the student and other girls. Education Department spokesman Nate Bailey told Politico over email, quote, we do not comment on pending investigations. But to be clear, the investigation focuses on the school's response to a report of sexual assault and the examination of any and all factors that may have contributed to a hostile environment, unquote. Courtney Burnett, a spokeswoman for the school district, told the outlet, City Schools of Decatur is committed to supporting all students. We are aware of the unfounded allegations made by the Alliance Defending Freedom. We fully disagree with their characterization of the situation and are addressing it with the Office of Civil Rights. As this is a pending legal matter, we have no further comment at this time. The ADF, once again the Alliance for Defending Freedom, complaint claims that the school responded by targeting her for a Department of Family and Children's Services investigation. 
However, anytime a student reports a sexual assault, schools are required to notify police and social services. Neither student reported the incident to school officials. The girl's mother told the school she was pushed against a wall and her genitals were forcibly touched by the gender-neutral student. She withdrew the girl from the school. The gender-neutral student was not disciplined or charged with any crimes after separate investigations by school authorities, local police, and child welfare social services. So three, um, the three services have investigated. They all say, nope, we, we, don't, we don't see anything there. And this uh, happy little group up here, um, the ADEF is basically targeting, I think it's like a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it'll be interesting to see who picks up what and, you know, if this is going to make more of a national news or just something that's, you know, going to eventually blow over. Well, I think the five-year-old was the alleged victim. They didn't say how old. The I'm assuming because I think I saw a interview on this and I think they were similar. Oh, ages. they were the same age. Yeah. I mean, okay. it wasn't clear in the article, but um, from what I saw on the news, um, it looked like that, you know, it was like a classmate. They were in the bathroom together and stuff. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, well, from what I understand, we're talking about two five-year-olds. Okay. Um, and, you know, I don't know how the, the story kind of, you know, the kid supposedly went home and complained to her mother and then, you know, got the school involved. And then, of course, they were investigated by child services, the police, and then the school did a, their own individual. And everybody said... It's, it's okay. It, nothing happened as far as they, the mother took it to the next level, and this is where we are now. And it's just, you know, one of those situations to be interesting to watch and, you know, some lives, you know, I can't imagine being the family on the other side. Well, you know, it's just for both kids, it's not yeah. a, a good situation. But uh, And then Betsy's going to get involved. Yeah. I had no, I mean, I I always learn things (coughs) in this show, of course, which I guess is the purpose of it, but I had no idea that uh, the federal law that prohibited uh, uh, sex-based discrimination in bathrooms was being rescinded. Oh, yeah. (coughs) It's, uh, their guidelines, and... um, Their guidelines? Their guidelines. Their schools have, different school districts have different uh, rules, according to, Mm. uh, based on these guidelines, or, or... they failed to pass any rules and and there are problems there too um but again and and this isn't uh this doesn't they're trying to make it fall under the the uh if you well if you have trans folk in bathrooms problems are going to arise because you know naturally they would um but this is you're speaking from their perspective this this is yeah speaking as (laughs) tongue-in-cheek yes okay but you know the ra- reality is on the ground. Mm-hmm. If uh, you know, and and I I believe the victims, right? I I don't I absolutely don't start from a point of of um, you know dispassionate. Uh, well, we'll see where the facts lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know start off with we you, don't know enough with this story. But still, and 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 that it's tragic, but it's not. Um, it's not a problem with the the bathroom issue access access issue. It's it's a matter of interpersonal um, uh, action, and so you know, yeah, they're going to turn it into the bathroom issue. But really, right. it's a matter of uh, you know boundaries and respect and right. and um, 
and learning what to do and what not to do. Right. Well, there are others trying to prove that this w- there was a cover-up, basically, is what they're saying. Right, right. That the mm-hmm. school and the police and the child welfare department have all said. All said no. But, you know, and again, that happens in cases of sexual assault. Right. And and that's true. It gets kind of pushed away as well. So, um, I have a um, a thought though. So as um, as a therapist, it's not common for five year olds to be um, planning out forcible assaults in mm-hmm. bathrooms. I'm sorry, but five year olds are thinking about who am I going to play with at recess, and do I get a snack today, and and all of those things. So the words forcibly touched in alignment with five year old. That, to me, just seems way strong. Mm -hmm. Now, could something have happened? It could have. Um, But usually around that age, it's more about um, questioning and trying to understand. It's it's not about force and sexual gratifications at any measure measure with a five-year-old, usually. More, you know. I I can't think that I know a five-year-old who's out for sexual gratification. Right. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, and that language is used against... um, African American people, you know, that it's it's uh, it, it's amplified, you know. They they blow up the language to make it sound like it's uh, uh, more violent than it necessarily is. Yeah, five year old being, you know, violent in that way would be extraordinary for anybody. But um, yeah, so that that is that that's just the language of people who are trying to make a case. Yeah, well, it's, well, we'll watch it and see what happens. Kevin, what do you have? All right, so the uh, Trump administration will begin to deny visas to same-sex partners of diplomats. The Trump administration has started denying visas to the partners of same-sex diplomats unless they are married. Most countries do not have marriage equality, but the policy will apply even if same-sex marriages are illegal in the diplomat's home country. Couples will be required to get married by the end of the year, or diplomats' partners will be deported. The restriction applies to both diplomats and United Nations employees. The United States issues diplomatic visas for spouses of U.S. diplomats. Quote, same-sex spouses of U.S. diplomats now enjoy the same rights and benefits as opposite-sex spouses, said the U.S. mission to the U.N., they continued, consistent with State Department policy, partners accompanying members of permanent missions or seeking to join this, seeking to join the same must generally be married in order to be eligible for a visa. Former UN Ambassador Samantha Power blasted the decision on Twitter, calling the move needlessly cruel and bigoted. While the couples have until January 1st to get married and could do so in the United States, they could be arrested and prosecuted when they return home if homosexuality is illegal there. The department says it will allow limited exceptions if the home country's government provides documentation that same-sex marriage is illegal in the country. At least 10 United Nations employees would need to get married to have their partner's visas extended. So, wow. So, wow. Yeah, wow. so like they say, um, only 12% <clears throat> of the UN member states allow same-sex marriage. Right. So, you know, majority, obviously, are, are not able to legally get married. Uh, it's just one of those awful, ugly, mean, bigoted, blah, 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 Trump things that right. he's pulling again. Um, and the Republicans and the conservative Christians are backing to kind of 
pull one of their uglies and you know and it's offensive and cruel and it's happening well i mean so the state department guideline that says you know couples need to be married within a certain amount of time is kind of um forces the hand of people regardless of right right sexual orientation but then you know to compound that with like what's this going to do with well and i can you know people on the other side will gotta argue because fair is fair you know you come to our country you gotta be married you know there's rules that you gotta follow the regulations i think the rules are just you know Overreaching, yeah, I think. Yeah, so, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, like just do away with that. Right. We have some of that happening though in our country, and so now it for some people it's health insurance. Right. I know yeah. a couple who um, had been together for twenty plus years and never married because it wasn't they weren't able to do that before. Um, and then once it became legal, they had to get married roughly a year ago. Or one of them was going to lose health insurance coverage because they weren't married. And right. so that's happened here right. in Bloomington to people, but only their health insurance, right? Good point. Wow. wow. Yeah, I think, and I yeah. could be wrong, but I think IU, you have to be married <coughs> now. Yeah. But before it wasn't. Right. You yeah. could have, you know, domestic partners or whatever. So, yeah, they're, you know, kind of forcing the hand on that. And, you know, in a lot of countries, I mean, in Europe, you know, marriage is not the same kind of thing that, uh, you know, at the level of we are, that, that in the United States is, where it's more un- more common not to be married for heterosexual couples, you know. Right. And, again, it's forcing our agenda, mm-hmm. you know, on the world. If we come here, and this is the UN, right, what does that stand for and mean, and we have them here, I mean, I don't know. So it's it's uh, it's one of the uglies again that the Trump administration is you know slipping by and and people are standing by and kind of watching happen definitely I think I think also like um, there's always an argument to be made for you know these these issues are very complex when you're dealing with visas and that type of thing but it's really about where there's a will there's a way and they clearly are not trying to put any effort into allowing same-sex couples to do this and like, granted, I think the article said that there was maybe 10 couples that were known to, to be affected by this in the future. But it, it's not the number. It's about, like, the principle. And it's the fact that you're doing this to these people that are here to try to serve a greater good and to be a part of the UN, which is such a phenomenal organization. Um, and the fact that you're ma- you're imposing this on them. And the fact that you come out and say that there's going to be limited exceptions uh, mm-hmm. to this to this new rule, um, I don't buy that. No. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, it's it's a way to just promote bigotry in, in a subtle way, and it's it's a shame to see. Right, and again, they're going to argue. You know, I can hear the arguments on, on that side, but uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be able to stop some of this at some point we'll we'll see (laughs) so it's time for our music break so please don't touch that dial we'll be right back with more blooming out Stones from great high 
Welcome back to Blooming Out. You have been listening to Kingdom by Marabou State. Hi. <laughs> um, having problems with my mic now. Uh, in the uh, studio, we have with us Deb Pardue, who works with individuals, children, and through adults, couples, and families, ranging in ages from 7 to 83, who are experiencing a wide range of symptoms. She, is extensive, she has extensive uh, work in trauma and sexual abuse, as you had said before, um, and, uh, and stressors that affect today's LGBTQ plus pli- clients and families uh, may be experiencing, and work with transgender clients so they can gain the medical treatment they need. She's trained in family systems. Deb has experience working with infidelity, breakdowns in communication, and emergings, em, emergence of uh, step families. Working with individuals who identify as LGBTQ+, has become a passion of hers. Research has shown that parental acceptance is the number one buffer that helps reduce uh, the rates of suicide and sub- substance abuse among transgender individuals. She said she is here to help adults, children, adolescents, parents, families, uh, and families with LGBTQ plus issues. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Hi, Deb. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, guys. <laughs> no, we're, we're so happy, happy to have you. Have you. Yeah. So lots of good information. You said that we were reading, you know, we're talking about our, our news story share, and you said you wanted to kind of go back to that. Mm-hmm. If that's so, I think um, just shortly before we were talking, um, Justin and I were talking about mm-hmm. how Cher was getting backlash for sharing what she shared about mm-hmm. um, about being scared of losing her child in the process of transitioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so many parents that I know and that I have worked with have the same fear, but yet they're afraid to talk about the fear because of the same exact backlash. Mm-hmm. Like they're afraid that they're going to be seen as unsupportive or unaccepting or not trying to help their child, right? And the reality is is they're just grieving. Mm-hmm. Right. But we want we want to stigmatize them. So stigma mm-hmm. so stigma goes Everywhere. We don't only stigmatize the individual, we stigmatize the parents, we stigmatize whoever, right? And so the um, we stigmatize them as not caring or not being accepting. And I find that really hard because parents, you know, parents do grieve. And when mm-hmm. you think about it, um, we, as a parent, so I have two kids, and from the minute I found out I was pregnant, I started thinking about what their life was going to be. And then you throw in the mix of when I found out what their gender, born gender was, right? Then you start thinking about weddings or college or careers or, you know, all of these different things. So when this, by the time this kid pops out, this kid has all of these already, this whole life built from right. perceptions of a parent, right? And so then as they grow what in the first two and a half years they they're not really verbal so you know they are but not that great so they can't really challenge your perceptions and as they get older what depending on how we communicate their challenges they learn that they can't challenge or that they can right and so by the time a child comes out as um, lgbtq or trans the parent has to undo this whole world of perception um, of, of, of their perceived child. And so um, for especially um, trans children, parents feel like they are losing a piece because their their perception was that they had this gender and now they're switching uh-huh. to this gender. Uh-huh. And then you also have to worry about pronouns and some, you know, walking into a house. Do I leave my child's baby pictures up on the wall and am I undoing their history like they were never alive? And that can be an emotional piece wow. for a parent. Mm. Yeah. 
So what's the, the yeah, the, the kind of the flip side on that as far as, you know, I guess it just depends on the family. Um, what suggestions do you give to parents at that point? Do you let the kids decide, I guess, if that's something they're comfortable with? Or if you go over to grandma's house, they might have, you know, Jesse now or Melinda before. Um, how do you have those conversations? Well, I think that you have a conversation. Right. You know, um, just like you would with anything. Um, I would have a conversation with my kid about what college they're going to, right? So why don't I have a conversation about... But do you think uh, age-wise, age-appropriate, you know, it's like uh, if, you know, your child's eight and they're kind of, you know, deciding on where where, where they're at in the spectrum of things. And, uh, you know, do you give an eight-year-old the same amount of say as an 18-year-old? And, you know, so what would and i think that's what a lot of parents struggle with you know as far as age appropriate um i am the parent <laughs> mm-hmm. you know so i think one of the questions that um that was really impactful for me to um be presented with at one time in my life was um when did you wake up and have to think about who you were as a person right how did you how when did you think about who you're attracted to mm-hmm. or do you identify on the lgbtq spectrum like how did you understand you and i never had to think about it i just woke up and i did me right, right? i mm-hmm. never had to think about whom i am attracted to i still think that my husband of the last almost 15 years is the sexiest guy i've ever mm-hmm. seen Shout right? out. good for you yeah <laughs> um, I, I i never had to question whether i was attracted to boys or girls i had a crush on the same guy from first grade all the way through sixth grade right mm-hmm. and so I, I never had to think about those things and i think that um the word decision is a word that I have a hard okay. time mm-hmm. because okay. how do you you know who you are? Right. It's not a choice. If it were a choice, then I could wake up and right. like women tomorrow, right? But I can't, right? Because they're right. not male, right? So I guess it's it's the education that comes on. It's being being able to talk to these parents that are you know whatever the appropriate I'm going to say dealing with mm-hmm. this situation at the at that time is like you know is how how do you do it without we all damage our kids without wanting to we just oh, do it yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like I always tell my That's kids it's like I'm going to do yeah. the best that I can and where I mess up I'll cover <laughs> when you're 20 in therapy it's on me <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah so it's trying to get it right yeah. and you know dealing with a you know having a, a trend child how do you you know that's just the guilt and wanting to do the right thing and you know and and then everybody has an opinion Mm -hmm. you know and to listen to you know the family to listen to the experts which would be someone like yourself and you know go with your gut you know on on what that is I just you know that's everybody has an opinion on everything anyway right Right. You know, and I, <laughs> really? they do. They right do. On. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think that, um, you know, when I was a new mom and my first little child came home, everybody wanted to tell me what I needed to do. Right. You need to mm-hmm. do this and you need to do that and you need to do this. And it's like, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do that. But then if I don't do it, then there's that extra pressure. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's like tenfold when you're a parent of an LGBTQ plus, but more so when it, your child identifies as trans. Because you're really going against that norm, right? Because yeah. you have a penis or you have a vagina or maybe you're intersex and there's one more dominant or, uh-huh. you know, so you raise your child based on the genitalia that they're born with. And anything outside of that is abnormal, mm-hmm. right? Quote, air quotes. Right. Um, 
And so I think it's just working with the parents to see if you really look back and you watch your child, you know your child, right? I, I know um, I know an almost seven-year-old that has more sass and more, um, more femininity than most women I know, and they have a penis, right? right? And they never, ever had to question the fact that they're a girl. They, from the minute that they could talk, they identified as a girl. Mm -hmm. Whether it's in play, they were always the mom. They always wanted to wear dresses. They, the minute that they, they walked into daycare, they would run over and put on a play dress and throw a fit when their parents came to pick them up because they had to take it off and they wanted to wear a dress because girls wear dresses, right? And so I think if you really watch your child, you can pick up on who they are, right? right? And I think sometimes we try to protect, air quotes again, um, our children from the things that we know that can be hard. And so we try to make them more masculine right. or we try mm-hmm. to make them more feminine. Right. Well, kind of a funny story, or I thought it was funny. When This is back in the 70s when I was growing up and we were living in Dallas, Texas. And we lived on um, in this cul-de-sac. And my sister, Randy, dressed me up like a little girl and took me around the neighborhood and introduced me as her cousin. <laughs> <laughs> All sisters do this. I have three sisters. And, um, you know, and, and you know, I remember being pulled around the wagon and everything else and Randy having, you know, Randy loved to do things like that to me. Mm-hmm. And my brought back and mom was like, okay, you know, and I don't, I don't remember how the conversation went. I probably went left and probably set her Barbie dolls on fire and did my thing and Randy got in trouble for something. Um, and then um, years later when I came out, that was the con- this was I forgot about it. Ma- my mom Mimsy went back to that mm-hmm. and was like, you know, I thought that was the point that Randy made you gay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, wow. I mean, yeah. and, th- and my mom's extremely liberal. Right. Mm-hmm. She's an intelligent lady. Um, you know, she's non judgmental, and, and you know, but uh, for that, and and so we, you know, uh, she brought that up years later, and it was just like I was like, what, you know? So yes, but you see, I think that all children do play with gender, don't they? I mean, we all, even I, I, cis men who identify as heterosexual usually have had well, a On Halloween, what all dress and drag. dudes want to dress up like? Mm-hmm. Right. right. <laughs> like, well, well, you know? So is it just the consistency, <laughs> do you think, of um, someone adopting uh, gender norms that are different, perhaps, from their biological body? How does a parent recognize. Justin, those are great questions, but before we get to that, we're going to take a break for the community updates and a short music break with. So, Lucas, take it away. Thank you. 
right now you're listening to Kingdoms and Color. Uh, that's the album by Marabu State. This song's called Turnmills. Um, now we're going to go over to the community calendar. So this week we have The Real Horror is Capitalism. First Thursday dance party at the back door at 207 South College Avenue. Um, that's from 10 p.m. till 3 a.m. with DJ Ricky and DJ Blush. Um, costumes and freak flags aggressively encouraged. And on October 5th, we have Sandy Patty at Buskirk Chumley Theater, 114 East Kirkwood Avenue. Um, it's October 5th at 7.30. Um, with five Grammy Awards, four Billboard Music Awards, uh, three Platinum Records, five Gold Records, and 11 million units sold, Sandy Patty is simply known as The Voice. Um, so check her out. And uh, that's does it for today. We're going to throw it back over to Blooming Out. Bye. Welcome back. You have been listening to Terminals by Marabou State. And we are here with Deb Pardue. And before we stop for our music break, I had asked you, how does a parent identify perhaps a child who is transsexual? Is that the correct terminology? Transgender? Transgender. Why, why is that the correct well, I think that um, I some people get confused um, intersex and transgender when sometimes it's hard to tell gender. And I think transsexual has a more stigmatized history to it. it definitely. It has, you know, decades long uh, uh, trauma associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in popular culture, transsexuals, uh, it also contains the term sexual. So people right. really get hung up on that. Uh-huh. And they confuse that with, with you know, who you love or how you love. And, uh-huh. um, and so it becomes more of a sexual expression than an expression of your, your gender identity. And so transgender has been around for a long time, but it was an umbrella term. And it's kind of been uh, co-opted or owned by people who... Uh, would fit the old term of transsexual, somebody who's socially transitioning um, from from one perceived gender to another, right, to their their authentic self, and uh, and so it just sounds closer to what the reality is, and um, and I think that's there, there's a lot of confusion over over. Yeah. Uh, language and terminology and exactly how to express yourself. So when you were asked right before the break uh, about, um, you know, uh, uh, playing with gender, Uh you know, so uh, uh, Revenge of the Nerds jock going out and popping on a cheerleader outfit and, you know, make up for uh, an event and it's all haha isn't playing with gender because gender is is a part, intrinsic part of your um, identity. They're doing it as gender play, gender expression play. Um, kind of, uh, it's looks similar maybe to some people, but it's fundamentally different in its origin and it's. Um, uh, so a transvestite. Right. 
transvestites. Transvestites are, are um, typically people, and there's a uh, entry in the DSM-5, uh, which is fetishistic transvestite, I think. Um, but transvestites are, are typically people who are cisgender, um, who would use uh, uh, the term cross-dressing as a, a means of expressing a fetish of theirs. Uh, cross-dresser is an old term. I kind of covered everybody for a long right. time. But it's usually a cisgender person who uh, wears the clothes of, you know, quote-unquote, the opposite gender. Um, right now, Deb is cross-dressed, according to 1940s uh, fashion. Mm. So it really is a culturally prescribed um, idea. Right. You know, if uh, in, you know, guys wearing kilts in Scotland, you know, 200 years ago is the norm, would not be made fun of. But, you know, if there's somebody who's walking down the street who's presents as male but wearing uh, a skirt, people in America in 2018 would be like, hey, what's going on here? So it's, it's really a... Um, cross-dress just kind of I, I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything anymore but really it's a uh, it, it's a way that people uh, express themselves comfortably so you had made a point um, too it, during the um, break that playing with um, gender roles versus gender identity and you said it so beautifully and it made me think of how um, when I pick up my grandma and she's like, oh, or when I call my grandma and she picks up, she's like, oh, do you have the kids with you? And I'm like, no, they're at home with my husband. And she's like, oh, he's babysitting today. Right. And I'm like, no, he's being a dad today, right? He's being a dad. He's not babysitting. Or when you see right. a little boy playing with a doll and they're like, oh, well, they're going to be gay or don't let them play with dolls. And it's like, you don't want them to know how to be a good dad because uh-huh. most guys want to have a baby at some point in their life right or you know majority of guys and you don't want them so that's the difference between um, playing with gender roles and gender identity like gender identity is pretty stable how I identify I might not know at certain points in my time but looking back I've had all of my clients been able to look back and say I knew I was just afraid or I didn't have a word or I, I couldn't share because it wasn't safe for me to share or I didn't want to lose my family or I didn't want, you know, to be made fun of at school. And so there's a whole host of reasons why identity, um, gender identity might not be shared. But I think that um, it's pretty stable and fluid. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess I'm still wondering how a parent recognizes the gender identity of a child and how can a parent support that child? to the best of their abilities. I think definitely, you know, letting your child be your child within safe boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want our child to go skydiving at six because they love danger. (laughs) Um, But you know, if, if I want to dress more masculine and I want my hair short and that's what makes me happy and helps me to feel good in my body, Mm -hmm. then what harm am I really doing? I might not be the norm outside of Bloomington to be a woman with short hair and dressing in masculine clothes for Indiana. But if that's what helps me feel good, what what is the big issue? Or if I'm, you know, a 12-year-old male and I want painted nails and I want my hair to be longer, um, 
okay, what harm am I doing other than what you're going to hear people say? You know, so it's about knowing your child as long as they're not asking for, you know, you to go out and buy them drugs on the side. I, I don't know what painting <laughs> your your fingernails, what harm that's going to do, you know, or having long hair or short hair or what you I wear. I think a, a lot of times that um, parents worry about how society is mm-hmm. going to um, accept them, you mm-hmm. know, what kind of teasing. Again, I think when we came out, you know, at least when I came out, it was like, you know, I, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about society and how you will be treated. That goes back to stigma and fear of stigma right. and how parents let fear and stigma affect their parenting decisions. And when it comes down to and that's why. So I'm working on my dissertation at IU. I'm a fifth year PhD student. <laughs> I'm going to finish one day. Um, <laughs> but that's what I'm researching is how parents um, let stigma affect their parenting decisions, especially right. when it comes to their trans child because the we reality curiously live through our children and again everything that goes wrong that we think is mm-hmm. wrong and i'm putting that in air quotes um we blame ourselves that we did something you know at that point and that's where when i talk to parents it's like you got to take a deep breath and realize that you know your kid's going to be who, who they're going to be and you, you don't have that much power at least at that point that you think to mess up your kid as much as you you think you are at this point mm-hmm. and i think that that's you know, for, for them to to let go and, mm-hmm. and, and to, to let the kid kind of be who they need to be and, and it not be um, your fault. There's an article that I'm basing my research off, and it's called Am I Doing the Right Thing? And what they found is that parents feel like somehow they've messed up. They feel like they need to protect their children from the stigma that exists in society. But by doing that, they're telling their child that they're not okay for who they are. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not okay. I need to protect you. You need to keep this part of you secret, which adds to the shame right. and, and guilt when I see them or somebody in my field sees them when they're suicidal and depressed and they don't want to get out of bed. Right. Do you guys know the difference between shame and guilt? No. Tell, tell no. So Kelly Kessens back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, shout out to you. You're probably not listening. But she <laughs> helped me learn the difference of shame and guilt. And so guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. Mm-hmm. And we are doing a lot of damage when we teach kids that they are something wrong. And that's what parents can do when they're trying to, air quote, protect because of the fear of the stigma Life is hard. Right. Like, life is hard in general. But it depends on what part of the world you live in. We live in Bloomington, and not to say everything mm-hmm. is always safe in Bloomington, but there's definitely more support when it comes to a transgender child. When you maybe have a child and you're in the deep south, right, and and they want to express who they are. And as a parent, maybe you are an accepting parent, and you want your child to be able to do that and to send them out where it could you know, they'll come home with a black eye or they'll come home ridiculed or you're, you know, and, and ha- so supporting your kid in this world that we have now mm-hmm. and, and keeping them alive and safe. Um, I don't know. It's like, um, again, I use a lot of me examples as growing up Jewish in the South that, you know, m- we were basically told not to tell people we were Jewish. Um, and, and of course, I outed us all the time. <laughs> that's what I like to do. Um, but the, my uh, my mom's fear of you know of of what would happen and how we would be treated and, and how our family would be ridiculed at that point. And this is like South Carolina. Um, so it's kind of the same and not. It is, but it's not. 
And so um, what we know about research in, is that um, trans individuals have a 50% reported, which Melanie brought this to mm-hmm. my attention because I didn't think about it prior, but 50% reported suicide rate, right? right? So it's higher because the people who have died aren't here to report about it. And so 50%, 50% drug and alcohol abuse rate, right? And so as a parent, do you want to lose your child because of suicide or drug and alcohol abuse? Or is it better to have them come home with a black eye knowing that you love them and you accept them and you're going to have their back? You're going to do whatever you can do to help them be okay for who they are in society, right? And so there's a big difference. And fear is huge because trans women, especially black trans women, number one homicide rate, right? Black trans women. And so... Is that right? Number one? Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so for a parent of a trans woman or a trans girl, fear is huge. But, okay, so I protect you from this fear of my perceived death of losing you to being killed, or I protect you from suicide and depression and, and drug and alcohol abuse. Which way do I want you? Do I want you happy and knowing that the world can be hard and I'm helping you in that way? Or do I want to lose you to things that I can not protect you right, from? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that, it's a hard call. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's such a hard call. Well, and, and not just trans kids, but there's the little boy in Colorado just most recently who felt, you know, um, comfortable coming out at school. School was not uh, helpful with bullying. And, uh, you know, a few days later, the little boy took his own life. Yeah. And... um you know, the world is a hard place, but, um, and that is about it. That's a really, really tough decision, tough call to make. I mean, um, it goes back to kind of mine where, you know, w- w- just my example, the, the religious example of just that, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of denying who you are, but stay alive. Yeah. Um, don't deny who you are and what you're saying is stay alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, you know, as a parent, you know, well, again, uh, there's so much information out there and good information about transgender children and, and how to support them. Um, and then I guess finding that community that your child is going to feel safe in and finding that group of, well, friends, the community. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just like, w- w- um, Melanie, when you were, Transitioning. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were an adult at that point. I yeah, I was 22 when I first came out. So yeah, um, and then, and when you came out to your your parents had. <laughs> I mean, we talked about this on, on some shows yeah. that we've done, but when you were actually, um, so I, I like wrote a letter to my father, and uh, um, my mom and my brothers were close, so I did a car ride with them, and just kind of laid it out and right. let them sit with it, but. Um, you know, you get back to that that expectation thing. My mom didn't really know anything about it. She she had no clue as to uh, what that would mean. You know, nowadays parents pretty much but, see it. But but to throw it kind of back, if we could go back, you know, and and you could come out as a oh God. child. Oh, I mean, when I saw that Real People episode, I, I keep coming back to that because that was just transformative for me, and I knew that there were others out there who were somewhat like. What me. is this Real People episode? <laughs> Uh, so I can't I don't remember know if it was it. Skip Stevenson or one of the others who were. Uh, um, is this uh, a TV talking, show? It was, oh, yeah, uh, real the, people. Your people from 1980s, early that. early 80s, late 70s. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. And, um, <laughs> I didn't know that we were talking about 1980, okay. I just whiplash this back. Well, Frankie yes, like when you were young, and that's back when I was young. So okay. that was, yeah. Um, you got to set the Wayback Machine uh, for another reference. So I, I, I saw that, and it was, it was amazing, and I wanted to. And I did tell my parents, you know, and it was something that they just pushed down. And, and so how old were you at that point? Six, so you were maybe. little, yeah. And, and I mean, I'd already make made deals with God back then, right? You know, that was a, it, it was it was rough. I was maybe three when I first realized that things weren't going to go the way I thought they were going to go, and mm. um, you know, and then when I got I got my period at eleven, right? You know, and that should have given them a clue, but they were so resistant that that idea of who this child is going to be, right, is so ingrained in people, um, that. Uh, well, actually, it, it's why I tried to raise my own child without those expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, she mm-hmm. has talents, and I would love for her to develop them. But, you know, I don't know if, her, if she's going to have a wedding, what she's going to, you know, I don't invest myself in who who she is. You know, like, you're going to be this person. Right. <laughs> you're going to make, make these benchmarks. and You don't you know, decide for her yeah. who she's going to be. Is that what you're R- saying? I try not to. Okay. You know, like actively try not to, to put myself in that position because it is so traumatizing when for this child, you know, mm-hmm. who has to deal with a parent who's like, well, you should have been better. Um, uh, although I do say that on some things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see? But, uh, but that deals with like talents where, you know, you, why don't you more like your brother or you're mm-hmm. – you, you, don't want a big wedding why don't you want a big wedding oh my god we always have big weddings i right, love big weddings right. you know and that's that's more about us than that is about them right and uh uh and that's just it was unfair to me growing up mm. to having uh, to have to live up to somebody else's expectation of who i was supposed to be because that was like you know unrealistic and oh my god unrealistic but <laughs> um um uh, you know it was it, it's just it's rough. It's rough to be in that position as a kid. I would have loved to have come out and had had support. And now I do have support. Um, yeah, you have a lot. So we're getting kind of close to the end. But Deb, who would you suggest? I mean, we could, you know, we'll throw your number out as well. Um, if parents are out there and they're looking for a therapist, they're looking for somebody to talk to, they're looking for answers, where would you suggest that they go? Um, honestly, I'm bad. I, I only opened my practice in March, and I don't know, um, being in school, I don't know a lot of, a lot of other We're clinicians. We're talking about you. Oh, well, <laughs> they, they can. Um, so definitely, so um, Transitions Counseling Services is the name of my business. I'm on North Walnut. Um, my number is 812-272-2782. So What's that? One more time. Um, 812-272-2782. Um, you can Google um, uh, Deb Pardue and I'll come up. But I, I don't know of um, one of the things I think for our community is it's such a huge need and the wait list is so long. And so um, I felt like um, and sometimes people, you know, kids and parents need somebody who gets it and somebody who says that they get it and somebody who actually gets it are two different things. Yeah. Right. Um, but definitely, I know um, Gender Nexus is a good resource for, for people to have. Um, we're, 
Sorry. Well, we're just running out of time there. <laughs> so we'll go ahead and post on our website on how they can get a hold of you or someone else. And we'll make sure that that's up there. But thank you so much for being part of the show. We're definitely going to have thank you, you yes, back. Thank you, Deb. Additional thank you, thank you, you to all of to our. About. <laughs> we do. As usual. Additional uh, thanks to all of our listeners and volunteers for making this possible. I'm Melanie Davis. Blooming Out is produced by Frankie Preslaff. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. Blooming Out's community liaison is Alex, Alex Ashkin. Our trusted intern is Jasper Tony. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Justin Robertson. And I'm Frankie Preslaff. And remember, if everything was straight, roller coasters would be one long, boring ride. You've been listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. Blooming Out is a product of WFHB's News and Public Affairs Department. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. for Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs program. You can hear this and other programs online at WFHB.org. Comments and suggestions for future topics or guests can be sent to Blooming Out at WFHB.org. That is blooming O-U-T at WFHB.org. And thank you for listening. I gotta be proud and I gotta remember this is what I'm about. Gotta stand up and I gotta be the same.